Welcome back to Policing Matters. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. While the media and council chambers have filled with talks of defunding the police and modifying policies and procedures from police use of force to using others to handle calls for service, even to using unarmed civilians to conduct traffic enforcement. Much of the testimony and proposals have been at times emotional with hardly any evidence-based research to predict outcomes from the proposed changes. Well, today we have a researcher, a well-known and honored researcher, Dr. Stephen James from the College of Nursing at Washington State University. And Dr. James has won honors relating to public safety studies around, for example, sleep, fatigue, and influences while operating emergency vehicles. Dr. James's research focus includes the interaction between physical stressors such as sleep-related fatigue, law, policy, training, and practice relating to operational performance for military and law enforcement personnel. He strives to better understand the dynamics of performance in a wide variety of policing tasks, driving, citizens' encounters, crisis intervention, and deadly force encounters. Dr. James uses neurophysiological measurements and simulation technology to evaluate training and performance of military and law enforcement personnel. And this research will lead to more effective and more cost-effective training and greater public safety. Well, prior to becoming an academic, Dr. James served in the British military as an infantry soldier and officer serving in the Cyprus, the former Yugoslavia, Northern Ireland, and Afghanistan. His military training goes on and on. I could just keep talking for a long time about that, but I'm going to welcome Dr. Stephen James. Well, thank you for having me. It's it's an honor. Well, it's, it's great to have you, and it's great to have some uh, research and evidence-based um, studies behind what police actually do and and how these these ideas that are coming out of the woodwork um, may affect them. So much of your perform your research is driven by the inquiries of how sleep deprivation and fatigue influence performance, and we've heard that before. That's especially critical today in law enforcement with the added stressors of COVID-19 and continuing protests, long hours, sometimes violent demonstrations, and the overall negative focus on policing in the media and local governments. What are you examining um, as far as the effects on personnel these days? Well, I think it's important for everyone to, to remember, you know, my although I'm faculty in the College of Nursing, my PhD is in, in criminal justice with a focus on police performance. And we need to remember that we often talk about the criminal justice system, but there are real people involved. There are, there are men and women who get up every morning, come home, you know, hug their significant other and, 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 and go to try and sleep, shake off the, the stresses of the day and get up and do it again and again and again. We have to be mindful that humans have limits and we are, incredibly uh, policing is or law enforcement is an incredibly taxing profession at the best of times when it comes to the stresses that law enforcement are under today we we need to be absolutely mindful that there are limits to human performance there are limits to the amount that humans can can deal with and perform adequately uh, and safely uh, my mentor, Brian Viola, who who arguably started the sort of discipline of of police fatigue, he's a a former um, LASD 
uh, gang sergeant back in the 70s. He was the first uh, police chief of the uh, Micronesia. Uh, he was a Fed. Don't hold that against him for a <laughs> while. But he, uh, he, he wrote a book called Tired Cops uh, about three decades ago. And what was written in that book still holds true today, that if we want good constitutional policing that's procedurally just, we have to remember that there's a human brain at the center of it all. And he told me very early on when I joined his team first as a graduate student, and then when he retired I and, and I graduated with my doctorate, I took over his lab, he would constantly remind us that if we're going to hold someone accountable for their behavior, it has to be achievable. It, that's the only ethical and just thing is that if we're going to say you shall or you must, then it has to be achievable and not just achievable given legal standings or what city councils or the communities would like to see, but what is humanly possible given the stresses and strains that law enforcement are under. So what are we seeing these days? Um, well, part of the problem with, with the current pandemic and the civil unrest is it's very difficult right now to do research with law enforcement. Um, we do have a number of studies that are ongoing, um, but through my work with law enforcement, uh, we, are, we are seeing officers who are already sleep deprived being taxed and agencies that were already relying on overtime to fill uh, their commitment to their communities being taxed. Um, when we look at just the basic sleep science, being awake for 24 hours is the same or can have the same impact on performance as blowing a 0.10. We would never allow our, our law enforcement, you know, to operate well drunk, yet we're putting them out on the street with little to no sleep night after night after night. Uh, I'm, I'm fearful that it's a powder keg that is is going to go wrong. Um, and if we're if the protests and the civil unrest are calling for greater accountability and 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 greater um, restraint from law enforcement, taxing them to this extent for months on end um, is is dangerous in, in in as much that it could provide the next tragedy that we're 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 then going to be talking about. Absolutely. And right now we're talking about Portland with ninety days of demonstrations, protests, violence sometimes mm -hmm. uh, for 90 days in a row. And I, and I remember from my, my time, you could do 12 hours at a protest and have to be back less than eight hours later to, to mm -hmm. pick it up again. And yeah, I, it's no wonder that, that you have the, the similarities between uh, the, the effects of uh, alcohol as, as mm -hmm. the long hours would have impact. So with efforts to defund and the longer hours, longer commutes, um, you just talked about the the effect on the day-to-day -day performance. What do you have as as far as recommendations from your your studies? Uh, do you do you make actual recommendations to agencies or to policy groups? We do, um, and we will often work directly with an agency. You know, there's over 18,000 police departments in the United States. Um, we we are mindful that the considerations for each department are different. They have a different tax base. They have a different source of funding. So what they can do can be limited by that. Um, they have different demands from their communities. They have uh, stronger or, or, or unions or, or not. Um, 
at some point, the underlying science is the same because we are all human beings. Um, so there is a there is a starting point that this is what is safe. Uh, this is what we would recommend. But at the same time, we understand that this does not, you know, our science doesn't happen in a vacuum when it meets the street. Mm-hmm. That we have to be mindful that communities and police agencies, law enforcement agencies, are being held uh, to task by their communities. They are they're having services demanded of them. And sometimes, you know, they don't have, or not sometimes, predominantly, they don't have the resources to do it the way we as scientists would recommend. You know, don't work more than 10 hours in a row. Uh, ensure you have a minimum of eight hours sleep between shifts. Mm-hmm. That's in an ideal world. So what we would typically do is work with agencies to understand their community, their demands on their services, their resources, and come up with a reasonable accommodation between what the science tells us is, is should happen with what reality says can happen. Um, right now, we're just starting a, a program with Seattle PD, um, doing a comprehensive fatigue management program, which includes looking at policy procedure, um, but also a large amount of uh, fatigue training. Uh, that That's about to kick off in, in the coming months. Um, in the past, we've, we've successfully completed um, training and policy recommendations to, for example, the RCMP up in Canada. And they were successful in as much that we saw behavior change. We saw officers getting more sleep. Uh, we, the, it resulted in officers having less physical pain. Uh, poor sleep and pain is, is linked. Um, to have less emotional distress, to have better, you know, not just better at the job, but better outside of the job too. Um, so the, the answer is never satisfying when you speak to someone who works in the realm of sleep research or, or fatigue or, or shift work is because the answer is always it depends. It depends on how far we can push uh, your agency in the direction that science would say while still maintaining the services that your community demands. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the problem is, is that society is 24-7. So it has to be policed 24-7. The human body is not designed to operate at night. And anything we do that requires us to operate at night comes at a cost, either to performance, to safety, and unfortunately to health. Um, Working graveyard shifts for an extended period of time takes a significant toll on our health as well as our safety. Yep. Yeah, been there. Now, you talk about the effects of... um the long hours and the lack of sleep. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the effects of alcohol and sleep aid? So I'm listening to other podcasts that talk mm-hmm. about, you know, you might think, oh, a couple of shots might help me get to sleep or mm-hmm. some some pill might help me sleep. But it, but then they say it's not really sleep. It's you just get unconscious. So you don't get the, right. the health effects of sleep. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, we have a we have a what we call a sleep architecture, uh, and that is these kind of stages of sleep that we would cycle through, going from alpha, which is that light falling asleep, to theta, which is that light sleep where we toss and turn a little bit, uh, and then we go into that deeper delta sleep, stage three and four sleep, which is the the kind of the physical reset. Uh, it's when growth hormone is produced. It's when we physically fix ourselves, and then 
REM sleep later in the night. And these cycles typically take about 90 minutes. And as we go through multiple cycles throughout the night, we get less delta sleep and more REM sleep. The, the body craves this delta sleep to fix itself, to, to reboot. Um, and as it's getting uh, satisfied with the amount of delta, we move into the, to the REM. So this is to say that when we, when we have a pharmacological intervention in this process, it can stunt what the body's naturally trying to do um, and interfere with the, the sleep stages and, and the normal sleep cycle that we see. Now, the human body is pretty resilient in that it will always find a way to get sleep. And one of the problems that our, us researchers have when we're trying to do sleep deprivation research is that whether it be in humans or animals, and it's especially problematic in animal uh, models, is because although there's no scheduled sleep in the, re in, the, in the protocols, these animals will find ways of sleeping, these micro-sleeps. And we've all done that when we've been trying to stay awake for extended operations. We find ourselves blinking out for a few minutes. The, the body is just saying, I've had enough. So when it comes to alcohol, alcohol at a low dose is a stimulant. And we've all seen this at a party. You know, you have one or two beers or one or two uh, drinks of, of alcohol and, and people get excited, they get happy, they get animated, a few more, and they are asleep in the corner or they're, um, you know, they're maudlin and they're down. Well, if we have one or two drinks, especially liquor, hard liquor, to go to sleep and we push past the stimulant part into the depressive well, as we sleep, it burns off and it then becomes a stimulant again. And mm. that is the problem. So alcohol as a sleep aid can get us to sleep, but it will not allow us to stay asleep. So uh, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having three or four whiskeys. I'm Irish, so it's in my culture to, to make sure that, uh, that I, I have that in my system at all times. But, you know, you can fall asleep, but you're wide awake at 5 a.m. and you have no idea why. Well, you've been filling your body full of stimulant um, and, and, you know, also the, the sugar involved in, in hard liquor metabolizes and, and you know, starts um, being burnt off by the body. So that is liquor. So liquor is it's not appropriate to use as a sleep aid. Mm. Um, I'm not, you know, against the use of alcohol responsibly, but as a sleep aid, it's it's not effective. When it comes to uh, pharma, uh, you know, sleeping aids such as um, Ambien and, and other um, sleeping tablets or sleeping pills, quite often they end up having a placebo effect. And uh, I have no financial stake in this book. I've never even met the authors, but there's a really good book out there for your readers. It's about 10 bucks, um, uh, you know, for a digital download or, or, or paperback. It's called Say Goodnight to Insomnia. It's written by two Harvard MDs. Um, and the first half of the book uh, basically talks about why pharma, uh, uh, pharmacological intervention is less effective than we think it is. One, it changes sleep architecture like you alluded to. But two, most people who take them end up falling asleep before the active ingredient has a chance to work. Even if you're not taking sleep aids, I'd recommend uh, if you're having difficulty sleeping, just grabbing this book. It's, it's, it's reasonably priced and it's an easy, quick read mm. because the latter half of the book has some really good um, application or, 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 or uh, um, exercises, I should say, for you to switch off your mind mm. and, and to kind of 
disengage. And that's often, it's not always, it's not always, but it's, it, it can be quite often the reason why people have what we would describe as sleep onset insomnia, as in they go to bed and they can't fall asleep as opposed to sleep maintenance insomnia, whereas they can get to sleep, but they wake up and they can't go back. Right. Often people don't, can't switch off from the events of the day. They can't disengage from, from life um, their mind is is going. So this gives you some practical exercises um, at breathing techniques and so on to help you re-engage the parasympathetic. So, you know, the, the sympathetic is the fight or flight response that every, you know, police officer in, in, in the nation has heard of. But the opposite of that is the rest and digest, which is the parasympathetic. Um, so, you know, doing things like belly breathing and so on or box breathing can help us in, in, re-engage that parasympathetic uh, and help us get to a restful state, both physically and psychologically, to allow us to then get sleep. Yeah. Well, it's it's it, the things that you mention. Uh, you know, you you see them often about turning off the blue screen. You know, mm -hmm. an hour before, don't eat. Two hours before you go to sleep. I mean, these are all sort of counter to police work. And mm -hmm. if you come off your shift and you're expected to go to sleep within the next hour, just mm -hmm. like you said, you know, you're recounting the things that happened during the day, maybe something exciting, wrestling with a suspect. Mm -hmm. um, and and so your mind is racing. So maybe you need something where you need to decompress and that's not mm -hmm. possible. You're looking at your phone, you're looking at TV. So when they come out with these sort of popular how to unwind to get to sleep, I wish they had one just for cops. Like right. if you're going to eat, eat, you know, eat yogurt before you go to bed, don't eat a, right. a hamburger or something like that. So and there is there is some interesting work coming out of uh, yeah. Australia. And now they're not working with law enforcement, but they are working with wildland firefighters and looking mm -hmm. at how diet affects, you know, um, and, and when to feed and how much to feed yeah. kind of. Um, and, and there is some evidence to support if you are on a graveyard shift fasting. Mm. Um, there's a there's a, a paper that I wrote. And if any of your listeners um, would like it, they email me. Uh, I'm happy to send it to them. Uh, looking at the um, the impact of uh, circadian desynchrony. So we are at our core level, we're diurnal animals. We are biologically designed to be awake during the day and sleep at night. And right down to the way our hormones are expressed, there aren't are, are are sort of synchronized with our circadian rhythms and and we're designed to feed during the day and not feed at night. Hmm. You know, for example, we end up we 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 produce um, uh, leptin, which is the hormone that that makes us hungry during during our waking hours, and it's slave to the amount of hours we're awake. The more time we're awake, this the hormone is produced to say, "Hey, you're you're using this machine of a body of yours. You need to fuel it." Well, the hormone that tells us, "Okay, you've had enough," ghrelin, is slave to our our um, circadian rhythms. So the hormone that says "eat" isn't, and that is you know that is active while we're awake. The hormone that says stop eating is slave to the light dark cycle of, of day, day and night, um, which is, you know, if, if anyone who's worked graveyard knows that they crave food um, at 2, 3 a.m., that they would never dream of eating during the day, uh, you know, high sugar, high carb, high fat. Um, and it's not necessarily that they've gone crazy or they become, you know, um, having food issues. It's just their body is out of whack and, and we're not designed to. To, to be awake at night and feed ourselves at night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So 
that's great on the on sleeping. Uh, some of your research, I've I've looked through your website, really mm. amazing work that you're doing, and your wife uh, Lois James as well, Doctor James. Mm-hmm. Um, has your research led you to clinical results that would lead you to consult with mental health professionals uh, to deal with issues like depression and suicide? Um, no, is the short answer. Um, it's an area that I'm I'm truly passionate about. Uh, as you sort of said in the intro, you know I'm a career army officer, and, and, and in fact one of my rangers committed suicide just last week. So oh, it's sorry. you know depression and suicidality and, and 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 the effects of trauma on our working professionals, whether it's military or law enforcement, is near and dear to my heart. So the short answer is no, but my one of my grad students right now is picking up that mantle with data that we've already collected and looking at uh, whether or not PTSD symptomology and sleep behavior affects performance in driving and use of force. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, PhD, not an MD, so I kind of shy away from the word clinical, um, you know, in as much as that. But, but uh, depression... Um, you know, PTSD symptomology and, and, and sleep disorders, they're so intertwined, uh, you know, with, with, with some make you sleep more and some make it more difficult to sleep. Yeah. Um, so no is the short answer. But uh, the other side of the coin is that I work extensively with uh, developing crisis intervention training and, mm. and helping law enforcement deal with community members um, with, with behavioral health issues uh, significantly. But but um, I think as a responsible researcher, the, the clinical side of life is best left to the clinicians. Okay. Um, I'm more than happy to support anyone looking to do research in that area uh, that I can, that I have the ability to, but uh, the clinical side, no. Okay. So, so then going back to the fatigue and the, the sleep issues, uh, can you s- say offhand anything agencies can do to help support their personnel? I know um, in some agencies where uh, you know the standard of living is super high, the uh, do sleep trailers or lounges if they have a midnight off over for court or for training that mm-hmm. they've got somewhere for them to go for downtime rather than getting on the road for you know a two-hour commute or something have you heard anything like that absolutely um so my my, my first thing is napping on duty uh, it should not be a contentious issue and not coming you know coming from the military but not the law enforcement the military we let our operators sleep whenever they can because it's all about supporting performance and safety if you have downtime sleep, um, my my old platoon sergeant uh, always used to say to me when I was his platoon commander, he'd say, "Boss, I'd rather be looking at them than looking for them." Um, you know, and 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 I've seen enough resourcefulness in law enforcement to know that if they are that fatigued, they will find a way. But let's make it safer. Let's write it into policy. Let's allow them to nap on policy or on on time or on shift to maintain their performance. You know, at one hand, people are saying we need to hold law enforcement accountable. We need to make sure they're operating at a safe and optimal level. But then we're not allowing them to sleep and, and maintain that optimal level. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and people say, well, they can't sleep on, on the taxpayer's dime. I'm like, have you met firefighters? <laughs> you know, and it's odd, you know, in most cities and counties, they're the same employer 
You know, it's still the city employees. They're still county employees and they get to sleep on shift. Now, I know their shift rotations are different. You know, they have 24, 48, 96 hour shifts and so on. But the principle is still the same. Yeah. They are sleeping to maintain safety and alertness. And, and the same should be for law enforcement. Um, if you're in a jurisdiction that doesn't have the resources to have sleep trailers or sleep pods, uh, cool, cool, cool. So about 65 degrees is ideal dark and quiet, you know, sleep masks. And a lot of it can be, you know, around discipline, you know, it can be just a room off to one side where everyone knows they're quiet around it, they're quiet entering and exiting it um, to allow people to sleep. Uh, if you are going to allow on, on shift napping, especially for your graveyard shift, uh, the best time is between two and 4 a.m. Uh, that is a circadian low. And that is where you'll you'll maximize both your ability to get a, a, a good quality nap, but also you're removing uh, the potential liability of a fatigue officer during a circadian low being out on the street, driving a city car or a county vehicle and colliding with with a member of the public or, or, or you know, hurting themselves or others. Sure. Sure. So there's that. Um Commuting home is is incredibly dangerous for graveyard shift, not just law enforcement, but across the board. It's it's one of the number one killers of medical professionals is driving mm. home after a graveyard shift. Uh, I had the um, I'll say honor, but it was you know uh, it was an awful thing that I even had to go. But I had I went to speak to a sheriff's department on the East Coast uh, last year maybe two years ago now um, with this pandemic time, time is meaningless. Uh, but this one of the deputies had spent more than two decades serving his community, um, corrections deputy, uh, and fell asleep at the wheel of his personal vehicle driving home. And uh, unfortunately collided with another vehicle, which then hit another vehicle and killed a 10 year old girl mm -hmm. or 10 year old girl died from a result of the crash, the collision and nine other people were hospitalized. Wow. And it's a tragedy, you know, that's 20 plus years of service to his community. And all he's ever going to be known for is the, the deputy that killed that girl. And sure. he's got to live with that. And he was just a deputy trying to support two generations, uh, in, you know, at home. He was the major kind of uh, source of income for, for two generations of his family. And it's a, it's a tragedy that, that w he was put in the position that allowed him to work as many hours as he was working. Um, and, and, you know, people ask me, what's the, what needs to change? And there needs to be a coming together. Uh, if, if there's anything that both labor organizations and executives should be able to agree on, it's preserving the human capital that they have, you know, built up in their law enforcement professionals. Mm -hmm. They're difficult to recruit nowadays. They're expensive to do background investigations, hire, you know, keep them fit and healthy. We should be doing absolutely everything we can to make sure that one, that they're safe to go home at the end of every shift. And two, once they do give their 20, 30 years to their communities, that they ride off into the sunset in physical and psychological health so they can enjoy the well-earned retirement. Mm -hmm. um, unions at their core should be about the health and wellness of their members. Mm -hmm. And executives at their core should be about maximizing their human capital and maintaining high levels of service and performance. So there shouldn't be anything that gets in the way of this. Um, mm -hmm. 
but in reality there is you know yeah. Yeah. You, you 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 mention fatigue um and people go don't touch my overtime don't touch my paycheck and, and i understand that you know we all want to have a standard of living that we aspire to but at what cost at what risk yeah that's that's yeah that's the threat yeah, yeah. sorry for getting on my soapbox there no no all good stuff but i must put a disclaimer in there please do not nap on duty and say you heard it on a podcast if so please refer to dr james <laughs> well what i'm advocating is for that it's written into policy to allow you to do yeah, that absolutely for yeah sure. um uh, yeah so the other things is is really understanding the impact that shift length and shift timings have on your ability to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, we know that consecutive night shifts, you know, shift one is dangerous for a night shift. Shift two is even more dangerous, shift three, four, five. Yeah. So limiting the consecutive number of nights you're on shift is important. Sure. Uh, recognizing that risk of accident, illness, and injury increase with every hour you're on shift but the curve inflects at hour nine and 10. Anything after 10 hours of on-duty time is incredibly dangerous. And then mm -hmm. if, you're hold, if you're already on a 12-hour shift and you're holding people over, th that's b becoming problematic. Sure. Yeah, um, and that's, uh, I know that it's sometimes a favorite with, um, with the line personnel who love the idea of three 12-hour shifts mm -hmm as opposed to five days, five eights, uh, right. but it, it, it gets you coming and going. And the, the you know, sleep and, and bi the biology at it, you know, is we have math, math you know, we, we have um, a good mathematical understanding of the impact of, of circadian disruption of shift work and of, of sleep and sleep restriction. And the math, you know, let alone the lived experience, the math just says it doesn't add up to, mm -hmm. to allow people to work. Now, one of the other things that agencies can can probably do relatively easily and that would be beneficial um, is, for example, with graveyard shift officers, this tendency to hold them over the next day um, is problematic for two reasons. One, because the later they, the officers get to bed in the morning, the less sleep they can get because the circadian pressure to wake builds and builds throughout the morning. So if you don't come off shift and go to bed immediately, you know, if you get held over for even an hour or two for training or for court or whatever, it's it's eating into your recovery time for your next shift. Mm -hmm. However, because of what we call the wake maintenance zone, which is that burst of circadian pressure to stay awake in the early evening hours, 5, 6, 7 p.m., you're, it's it's much uh, more beneficial for both an officer to be alert and learn something in the training if you bring them in early for a shift as opposed to hold them off hold them over after a shift. Mm -hmm. So even just considering tr changing, you know, instead of holding those graveyard men and women over first thing in the morning because you know they already have them on site, so it's easy right. to train them. No, just bring them in a few hours early and mm -hmm. do the training prior to their shift starting. Sure. Well, great advice and great work you're doing. We're wrapping up here, and I know you've got some things in the fire right now. What, what can you tell our listeners? How can they read more about or participate in, in one of your studies? Yeah, I mean, if, if people want to uh, uh, read more about what I do, my can I give out my lab sure. website? Oh. Yeah, so it's it's labs.wsu.edu labs, forward slash 
SHOT, S-H-O-T, and that stands for Simulated Hazardous Occupational Tasks Lab, but SHOT is the easy acronym. Um, so that has a list of all of the kind of the uh, publications that members of our lab have put out over the last decade. But if you want to get involved right now, um, Lois, the, 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 the other Dr. James, and I are in partnership with CDC NIOSH, the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. And we have uh, developed an online training for law enforcement, uh, which will be free. Uh, and and I'm, you know, I'm happy that it will be free to all law enforcement and hosted on the government's website, NIOSH, freely available. There's one for supervisors, there's one for line officers. The problem is it will only be hosted by them once it's been validated. And we're looking for um, individuals to uh, go through the training, wear an actigraph, complete a sleep diary, and actually show that the training has the effect that we hope it has, that it improves your sleep quantity, quality, and your, your quality of life. Um, so if anyone is interested in partaking in that study, um, then they can email me um, at stevejames at wsu.edu, um, and I will put them in contact with our colleagues at CDC who are running the study. Uh, Lois and I helped develop the material. Um, but again, once it is validated, it will be free to all law enforcement, um, but it needs to be validated first. Anywhere in America? Yes. Yes, it'll be hosted. And we're also kind of, once it is up and running and validated, we're looking at doing the work to make sure that people get post-credit hours, example, for, for partaking in it and, and that, type of, uh, that type of thing. Oh, great. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Stephen James, and for all the work you've done so far, all the work you're continuing to do for the betterment of the health of law enforcement officers and our, our military personnel. Um, we'll put the links up with our, um, with our uh, uh, podcast. And for our listeners, thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your questions or comments. How do you self-care when it comes to getting enough sleep or downtime? Write to us at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. And uh, Say Goodnight to Insomnia is the book that we're looking for. And we will um, we'll hear more about Dr. James. I'd love to hear some more about some of the other research that you're doing. Thanks so much for your time. And to our listeners, stay safe out there and get some sleep. Mm-hmm.